Welcome to the Pain of Scale, the Notion Podcast. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, Paul. And you? Very good. Thank you. Today, we're going to talk about leadership. So what do we have to talk about leadership? I'm really pleased to, that we've got Mike Snelling from the Table Group joining us today. And you know, Table Group is one of the, the leading organizations in the world designed to helping companies of all sizes understand how to, to lead and more importantly, to build really healthy, high performing organizations. So pleased to have you with us, Mike. Thank you very much, Stephen. And hello, Paul. Hello. We're very much looking forward Leadership, leadership, it's always something that seems key. Everybody talks about people. Everybody says that this is how you're going to establish a big company. But maybe before we get there, Stephen, did you want to put a little bit of context to what leadership means to you in your framework? Yeah, so I think there are some very fundamental, consistent principles of, of leadership. And I'll, I'll let Mike kind of do that piece. But what's really interesting to me is the personal journey that the founders we invest in go on as they go through this startup. I maybe got 10 people in the company and I'm trying to figure out, am I solving a problem that's worth solving? And there's a leadership challenge and opportunity within that phase. And then let's say they're successful. They're, they're solving a problem that's worth solving. And now they're starting to grow the business and they're starting to really kind of build out some sophistication in their organization. They're really trying to figure out how to grow more repeatedly. And maybe now they've got 200 people in the company and maybe there are there were 10 people in the company before. Maybe they're now 10 people on the executive leadership team. And then they're successful again and, and they carry on growing and they've raised a whole ton of money from venture capital around the world. And they're fast tracking through to global category leadership and some kind of IPO, let's say. And at that IPO, maybe they've got 1,000 people in the organization. And they've got 10 people on the board. So they've gone from 10 people in the company to 10 people on the leadership team to 10 people on their board. And I'm just fascinated about that personal journey, what we can learn and how we can help. And, and that's really why I love working with people like Mike, who just, you know, they spend every day focused on that topic. Sure. Mike, just, let's come back to the beginning of that piece when we said, actually, what are the fundamentals of really good leadership? and healthy organizations. And then let's deconstruct it as the fundamental challenges of, you know, very significant scale in terms of, you know, the, the size of an organization. So maybe just kick us off with your thoughts in terms of leadership. I mean, Stephen, you, you so elegantly articulated this, this journey with almost the immediacy behind, hey, what happens when you, you start off as, you know, a founder or a co-founder, or there's, you know, less than five of you, and in X amount of time, and not a very long time, you, you take this multiplier effect until there's a thousand people in the organization. And as we look across the teams that we work with, and we work uh, in industries that are all the way across that range, whether they're sub 50 people to teams and organizations that have IPO'd and they've gone on further than that, there's some very consistent things around leadership. And so I'll cover a couple of those in a second. Now, it's not universally true in that whole journey, you're going to have to focus more attentively on certain areas rather than others, depending on how your speed and your scale and where you're moving and what you're trying to achieve. But if we go right back to the basics, if we go right back to, you know, there's sub 10 people in the organization, usually a founding group that have had, had this idea, this thing that they want to solve. One of the most consistent things that we, we talk with teams and we talk with those communities is 
understanding their own clarity. And especially in, in our language, the most important thing is to recognize why they exist. So what's the purpose of the organization? Why have we got around the table? Why do we think that this is one of the most important things that we need to solve? And being really clear around the answer to the question of why do we exist as an organization, that's going to be our orientation point. It's going to be our compass when it's difficult. It's going to keep us attracted to the right things and detracted to temptation. And a lot of organizations that we work with, the answer to why do they exist doesn't change. It just doesn't change over time whether they're 10 people, whether they're 100 people or whether they're 10,000 people. The actual answer to that question remained very consistent and has helped them along the way. And I think one of the interesting things, when we talk about healthy leadership behaviors and healthy team behaviors, when it's zero to five or zero to 10 people in an organization, some of the things that we look for most attentively in teams and in leadership and leading are abound. So their ability to be vulnerable with their thoughts, their ability to have very healthy conflict about decisions that we need to make and opportunities that we should go for or we should walk away from. Their commitment is through the roof, and they'll demonstrate that in many ways. And their buy-in to their cause and why do they exist is high. They generally have a really good way of holding each other to account because they've put their cards on the table. They've gone, hey, we're all in on this, so let's make this work. And they're very clear about the results that they're trying to achieve. And when you look at organizations that are in that zero to 10 personnel range, maybe or even up to 20, there's just high levels of all of those behaviors happening frequently and consistently. Then things like temptation and distraction and a bit of scale turn up. You know, we're adrenaline focused and we want to get things done and we want to progress. And then we forget that there's more people joining this company every day. And we forget the attentiveness we need to those core behaviors. We have a phrase that we say, look, you know, leadership and teamwork isn't about mastering sophisticated theories. It's just about applying common sense with an uncommon level of discipline. And when we see organizations that grow quickly, it's the uncommon level of discipline to leading and to health and being both smart and healthy that starts to wane a little bit. And that's where you hear things like we're confused about our clarity. We're confused about our direction. We don't know our decisions. We're so attracted to anything that we've lost our focus. So really in that early stage, some of the most natural behaviors that we want out of both a smart and healthy organization are usually quite high. But as you scale first stage, second stage, third stage, you see those almost get put onto the side plate of the business, where it, beforehand it was the very foundation that the company was built on. You know, it makes a huge amount of sense. And it's, yeah. I think sometimes it's implicit at that early stage. Yes. And so what you're, are you saying that people need to be far more explicit about that? You know, the reason why I'm doing this is X. Our reason for being is Y. You really feel people should be open with each other about that. Explicit, explicit, explicit. Uh, if you look at our principles of organizational health, over-communicating clarity is, is one of the disciplines that we look at. Being completely candid and transparent, most leaders that we meet are under-communicators. They like to think that they over-communicate and it's very clear to them. And when the organization gets a little bit larger, they, in essence, become under-communicators. It also gives them some guiding principles around why do we exist and how do we behave? What do we do? How are we going to succeed? So what's, what's our strategic anchors that take us to where we need to go? What's most important right now and who does what? If a team can be build an explicit playbook with answers to those questions, it keeps us focused, it keeps us directionally true, and we can include other people into this as they join the conversation. 
And I think when it's implicit and implied, it's getting it from that implicit to explicit, especially when you have people around the table who just weren't there when the implicit nature of the business was starting to form itself. So we've become explicit in terms of our reason for being. And yes. We're aligned as a team and we, we, we're all really bought into this. But I'm, I mean, everybody in the company can sit around the table I'm sitting at. We can look at each other and we can have that conversation. Now I've got that my leadership team is, is the size of a, the, the table and there's 10 people in the leadership team. But maybe I've got sure. 100 people in the company. Again, they definitely weren't at, in the conversation. How do we transition from that explicit core team to a broader organization where people are perhaps there for different working with us for different reasons? So that's a great question. And um, this is really live for us. I met two organizations just this week. And I want to share a couple of examples from their experiences. So they're companies of 50 people and 75 people. And one of the things that we we seem to experience quite regularly is the founding team of an organization. And you have to excuse my generalization here. Sometimes they're very technically brilliant. And the idea that they've come up with is sophisticated and intellectual and technical. And they're the best people to lead in that moment. And then we become an organization of 20, 30, 50, 100 people. And these technical experts are suddenly people leaders. And so some of the challenges that we see is this big obstacle of when we've scaled just a little bit to 50 or 100 people, the actual people who are leading the teams that are in the business now have also got to make this intellectual and emotional leap from being almost a technical expert to actually now I lead teams of technical experts. So having this freedom in a framework, having kind of four healthy disciplines around how do I build and maintain cohesive teams? How do I constantly create clarity? Because if, I, if I'm not doing that, then actually what happens is confusion starts to creep in. How do I remain the chief reminding officer for my company and my organization? So over communicating, just communicating the hell out of everything to everyone who needs to hear it. And then how are we constantly looking at our systems to ensure that they're both aligned to where we're trying to go as an organization? The people in our business can use them and they don't resist them and they think they're additive and they actually help us move forwards. And also, how am I removing distraction from the company? So there'll be systems and processes that were good for yesterday, but they're not good for today. And how do I keep kind of pulling that, those down and breaking down those barriers and creating the lift that the people in the company need? So it is a real transition. And we, we meet a, a lot of organizations that get to the kind of 50, 60 mark, and they're being very successful, and there's a lot of pressure on them, and they have an incredible opportunity to grow through. And one of the things they need to think about is what is my movement from a leader of a small foundational company to a leader of teams? There's some really, really fascinating points in there. This, this idea of a freedom within a framework is, is, is critical. Remaining that kind of chief reminding officer, as you yes. talk about it, uh, and the systems that help us to to align an organization that really really scales maybe we can talk about those those three things in a bit more but i'd like also just to kind of get your thoughts in terms of that pressure issue because you know a huge part of the leadership challenge is the intensity of focus stress pressure that sits on the shoulders of that technical individual brilliant person suddenly having to lead people and they're probably out of their comfort zone 
how do we need to help those people to mm, incredibly you know cope with that level of intensity and scrutiny and, and remain human and healthy themselves as opposed to just healthy organizations one of the problems is when when incredibly intelligent and articulate leaders are now in leading teams one of the challenges we find is they try to over intellectualize the problem so the, the challenge is how do i now lead a team but they try and solve it in such an over intellectual way and it, they, it's almost like they can't help themselves by making it complicated and it isn't actually that complicated it's back to just some basic disciplines about what am i doing to encourage vulnerability based trust in my teams what am i doing to ensure that the right kind of passionate unfiltered debate is happening and we're not building up topics that we just don't resolve that are going to incredibly infuriate our own organization how do i put the pressure that i'm under how do i use that almost as energy in the right direction rather than fall in the temptation trap of let's now start doing business that we're going to regret doing but it's immediate and it's instant but it's really kind of what we don't do it's really what we don't do it aligned against why do we exist but it's tempting it's right here but we ultimately know that down the line it's going to be work that we our company doesn't like doing isn't aligned to our values the people who we're actually serving aren't going to be our biggest fans it's just not connected and people will then start to question is this really aligned to what we're trying to be as an organization so i understand the pressure trap i get that there's so much on these people's shoulders and it's very easy to be tempted to become what you're not So I think having those basic set of principles about what am I doing every single day to have conversations with the teams that I lead to help them align to clarity and purpose to encourage the behaviors that we're looking for in the teams and for me it's that's freedom in a framework you know if you're aligned to a set of principles and values of the organization and a set of operating framework that you're constantly breaking down once it gets a little bit too complicated If that's the overarching principles in the framework, right in the middle of that, you've got brilliant people. Then you say to those brilliant people, anything that you do inside these principles and these frameworks is up to you. We trust you. So that's for me. That's how you create scale. That's how you create lift. That's how you don't get pulled into operationalized problems all the time. And this is a really clunky way of saying it. I think any leadership team needs to work itself into a place of idleness. And that's not to get your golf handicap down. That's because you you're building such an amazing organization. that you lead with such brilliant cohesive teams that are incredibly clear and you've provided this framework that has a real open space in the middle of it that people can actually just get things done that as a leadership team it creates enough lift that you can have just the most wonderful conversations about what you're trying to do with the organization and the opportunities that you have that you need to take in order to scale that really resonates for me and i think was incredibly well put it it's really important that we actually maintain those two threads when when we're thinking about leadership which is to say not just are we understanding how to communicate clarity we're actually understanding how to create a high performing organization and for me as an individual as the as the leader to stay the course you know and and i i love that concept of um reaching a point of idleness as a goal for any you know the very best leaders that we have they they have this stillness about them because actually they're trusting the people to do the work absolutely and it, it's definitely not you know build your organization to laziness that's it, it's if you can create this moment where you've built such an amazing organization that you 
as a leadership team, you can solve different problems. That's amazing. And it's hard. I get it. When you're the founders of a company and there were only five or 10 of you, one of the most exciting things is solving the problems. It's, it's taking on the challenges and taking them head on and addressing them. And you're still going to do that, but you're just going to solve a different set of problems. And it's a, a set of challenges that an organization of a thousand people are going to want you to be solving. And you're the only people that are going to be talking about that. And you're the only people that are going to have the time to do that. And if you haven't created the correct, healthy organization beneath you, you are constantly going to be dragged into your own business when really you should have built yourself up into a position where you are the only group of people that are going to go solve the set of challenges that you need to go solve. Now, maybe maybe we'd actually need to be thinking about healthy leaders, not not yeah, just sure. healthy organizations. And I, and I think there's a, there's a really critical kind of part of that uh, narrative. So let's come back to our kind of startup, grow up, scale up. So, yes. so I started with 10 people in the company. They were sitting around the table where I'm sitting in now. And we look at each other and we say, this is why we're doing what we're doing. What needs to be done? Who's doing what? And now I've, I've gone through the period where I've, I've now got let's say 100 people and I've got 10 people on a leadership team. Yes. I'm still pretty good with that because it's it's a relatively simple organization. I've still only got 10 people. Now I've got 1,000 in the company. I've, I've listed on uh, NASDAQ. I've got 10 people on, on the board. How does the fundamental challenge change? And, and how do you see the very best people critically making that kind of transformation? To go from being that technical leader to the CEO of a, of a publicly listed Good business. question. So a couple of things. I think you need to most immediately find people to listen to. I don't necessarily mean you know people in our, our types of organizations. I, I, I just mean don't view this as an independent problem. So I think if you're a leader or a co-leader in an organization that's gone to that 1,000-plus person scale, it's just important to not think that you need to solve and exist in a bubble. So I think the more broader you can reach out to create a network, the more you can share problems, the more you can share challenges, the more you can listen to others who have had relative experiences. And I think that would help form your own conclusions around what you need to do. A second thing is, and we've seen this a couple of times, if you are not attentive towards it, suddenly you end up with a leadership team that has 20 people in it. And, you know, you can read out in the open world of information there's enough out there that now says that teams become a little less effective once they grow plus the kind of eight or 10 people. But when we see organizations of around a thousand, and some of it's just about being kind of a nice culture or a nice organization, you then go and look at the, the leadership team of that organization and it's got 22 or 23 people in it. And you can't serve that. As a leader, you just cannot serve 21 or 22 direct reports. It doesn't work. The meeting quality is low because everyone's advocating. The quality of the conversation is low because there's too many people around trying to solve the topic. It's very hard to get clarity and buy into any decisions you make because people haven't been heard. So there's almost a discipline in there to say, as we scale to this, how do we scale sensibly and not put people around the table because we weren't courageous enough to keep it to a core set of let's have eight or 10 people in every team and let's put an organizational structure in that allows us to be effective towards that. And I think sometimes when you have very ambitious people in organizations, it's very easy as the leader to say, hey, I can't promote you because there isn't a role for you to promote into. But tell you what, come and join the leadership table. And that happens two or three times. And then suddenly before you know it, you've got a team of 20 
and you've wondered why your ability to serve your organization is just kind of pile-drived into the floor. Too many cooks in the kitchen, basically. Yeah, 20 prime ministers around the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what, what a thought. So who, 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 do you see, uh, who do you see doing this well? Do you have any kind of people who you've seen make that transition from, you know, pretty, pretty nerdy technical product founder to, you know, a really, um, you know, people with demonstrating strong leadership on, you know, a publicly listed or an exited company? As an example, that's Glenn, uh, who's just become the chairman over uh, Reward Gateway. is just doing that phenomenally. I think it's maybe five or six hundred person organization and leads that business in a super smart and healthy way. It's just about to release a book called The Rebel's Guide to Employee Engagement, which is just a wonderful thing. I mean, you can go again into public information. You go and read Glenn's story around creating his organization and the investment uh, companies that came in to help him do that. And just, just how they've taken that to where they are now is just phenomenal. Another guy called Hugo Birch, who he sold his organization, Momondo, sold that last year to uh, Priceline, and that's been uh, embedded into Kayak uh, incredibly well. Uh, 360, 370-person organization, I think he sold that for $550 million, but just built the most amazing, smart, and healthy business. Uh, didn't outsmart its competitors. Would, you know, It was in the travel search business, and that's an incredibly competitive environment. But how they went about solving those challenges was just phenomenal. And the culture and the teams that were built within that organization, not just solely by Hugo, uh, was just one of the most phenomenal and privileged uh, journeys we had, we had an opportunity to stand side by side with. Do you think we talk enough about this? You know, how to, how to really build healthy leaders and, and, and healthy organizations? Nope. <laughs> it is completely and utterly ignored. If you put up on a chart, smart and healthy, If you, if you listed down, you know, on the smart side, strategy, finance, marketing, technology, R&D, sales, processes, KPI, and then on the, on the healthy side, minimal politics, minimal confusion, high morale, high productivity, low turnover of good people. If you had that as a kind of left and right and said to most organizations, if that was a, a kind of seesaw balance, where is your attention? Most organizations we work with is a 95% plus smart. So if you look at where their attention is, it's sub 5% towards the health of the organization. But fundamentally, a healthy organization will outsmart its smartest competitors over time. Health is the competitive advantage. It's a, it's a nice closing sentence. We really like that. And I think one of the challenges, I think, Mike, is that people think about this as being, well, that sounds really nice, you know, Uh, having a healthy organization that sounds like you know that would be a lovely place to work what you're saying is actually this is a great place to work this is a great successful place to work yeah, this is how we're yeah. going to win this is how we're going to build that that's the thing that's missing oh, sometimes from these kind of vernacular. <laughs> this is how you build winning companies this is the single biggest competitive advantage any organization has We've worked with just under 20,000 teams now. Uh, this, this isn't a guess. We know this. A healthy organization significantly outproduces its competitors. It becomes smarter than its competitors over time because of the amount of knowledge and intention it retains in its company. Uh, it loses no good people. So in unhealthy organizations, great people just are walking out of the door because they can't deal with the politics or the confusion. It just becomes the most significant difference. It baffles me 
when I say to an organization, what is your tactic to win? And their answer is, we will just outsmart everyone else. Well, you name me one organization that isn't focused on being smart, that isn't trying to improve its smarts every day, that isn't trying to gain its competitive advantage by being smarter. That's just norm. That's that's bread and butter. That is permission to play. It's what it's someone's focus in your organization, or if not most of your people's focus in your organization for 40 to 60 hours a week. So if your tactic is to outsmart everyone else, you're basically saying we're choosing the same tactic as everyone else and we're going up against everyone. Those organizations that choose to be both smart and healthy are the ones that win. So Mike, uh, you started today by talking about common sense, about being explicit, about communicating. I don't know if you were uh, too many cooks by being three in this podcast, but uh, we'd like to thank you so much for your insights. You're very thank welcome. You. Thank you. Yes, Mike, thank you. Uh, as ever, it's always uh, it, it's always fascinating and a, and a pleasure to You're very welcome. To you. Thank you both.